Well, I want to welcome you all here to Parkview this Christmas Eve. My name is Ray Kolbacher. I'm the senior pastor here. You guys ready for Christmas? Okay, good. It's coming whether you're ready or not, right? Uh, in case you didn't know it, the carol we just sang uh, together was written on Christmas Day, 1863 by American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and he wrote it after getting news that his, um, his son Charles, his oldest, had been killed in a battle of the Civil War. And so he writes, on Christmas Day, in despair, I bowed my head and I said, there's no peace on earth. Hate is strong. It mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know, like Longfellow, uh, it's not hard for us to look around our world tonight and come to a similar conclusion that true peace is pretty difficult to come by. Yet the message of Christmas, the message of Christianity, uh, centers on the very notion that peace is possible. The question is, is it? Well, there are some who today question, I think understandably so, whether any, any religion can bring peace on earth with a select few people actually blaming religion for much of the hate, oppression, and violence that we see played out all around us uh, every day in our world. Their contention is that religion um, promises peace but only leads to conflict. And in many cases, they're right. And so some of those folks are hoping, even expecting, that religion will one day fade away. In the meantime, some would like to see it forbidden or at least controlled. Others want to privatize it and keep it out of public discourse. But trust me when I tell you, none of those things are ever going to happen. And here's why. First of all, religious belief is on the rise all around the world. Despite secularism's prediction that as science and technology advance, humanity's need for God will become obsolete and eventually just go away. That isn't happening. The fact is, belief in God is increasing. It's growing. Man's search to know God is intensifying. In short, religion is here to stay. In terms of forbidding it or controlling it, well, that's been tried. It was tried by Cambodia, North Korea, Soviet Russia, Communist China, with the results always being the same, just more oppression, more injustice, and more violence. In other words, secular attempts at suppressing religion has made matters worse. Uh, in his book, The Twilight of Atheism, Oxford historian Dr. Alistair McGrath notes uh, how the 20th century gave rise to one of the most distressing paradoxes in human history. The greatest intolerance and violence were practiced by those who believed religion caused intolerance and violence, i.e., Secular atheistic attempts to stomp out religion don't bring peace, just more pain, more oppression, more injustice. And so there are those who suggest we privatize religion. You know, if people would just keep their mouths shut and uh, their beliefs hidden uh, the, and never bring them to work or, you know, uh, to politics or public discourse, the world would be a much, much more peaceful place. But that's unrealistic. And it's unrealistic because everyone carries with them a set of unprovable faith assumptions. Whether you're an atheist, uh, an agnostic, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Christian, it makes no difference. We all have certain beliefs about our world, about who we are as human beings, why we're here, where we're going, the meaning of life. And those beliefs shape uh, our values, our decisions, and our behaviors. And therefore, to suggest that religious people alone should keep their beliefs to themselves isn't merely unrealistic or unreasonable, it's unfair. Uh, Stephen Carter is a well-known law professor at Yale University, and he writes, Efforts to craft a public square from which religious conversation is absent, no matter how thoughtfully worked out, will always, in the end, say to those of organized religion that they alone, unlike everybody else, 
must enter public dialogue only after leaving behind that part of themselves they may consider the most vital. Carter's saying, look, we all hold to certain beliefs about life, about death, about the origin and meaning of existence, and it's absolutely impossible for anybody, religious or otherwise, to leave those beliefs behind and not have them uh, influence their their day-to-day values, opinions, decisions, really all aspects of their lives. And so what does all this tell me? Well, it tells me that secularism, atheism, doesn't bring peace on earth because it looks down its nose at religion and often ends with intolerance and in some cases violent oppression. And yet religion doesn't bring peace either because it looks down its nose at secularism and often ends with intolerance and in some cases violence and oppression, uh, even having religion pitted against another religion. So where does this leave us in terms of any hope tonight for peace? For me... It's not so much about where it leaves us, but where it leads us, which is straight to Jesus. And you may say, well, hold on a second, Ray. You just said religion doesn't, doesn't bring peace. And that's right. It doesn't, not, not publicly or personally. And that may sound weird to you coming from me as a pastor, but understand religion represents man's attempt to earn God's love and acceptance by way of moral performance, good works, you know, keeping a, a set of rules and ceremonial rituals. Religion is about proving your worthiness to God and demonstrating superiority over others. We measure ourselves against one another by uh, how we dress, how we talk, uh, the things that we do and don't do, the rules that we keep, figuring if I can demonstrate to God that I'm better than you, he'll accept me. And so we rush to judge one another to make ourselves feel better and more spiritual. We pressure those who are different to conform to our standards, our preferences, our liturgies, our traditions, our codes of conduct. And if they don't conform, we hold them in contempt. With religion comes insecurity, a lack of spiritual confidence because you just never know when or if you've performed well enough, if you've been good enough, moral enough. And so you never, you can't really be sure that you're loved and accepted by God. And you, you therefore journey through life uh, with a debilitating degree of uncertainty. An uncertainty that breeds uh, guilt and fear and frustration and division. I mean, it kills joy and brings peace to no one. But see, where religion is about impressing God through human effort, biblical historical Christianity is about having a relationship of peace with God uh, founded solely on grace, unmerited favor. Now, I realize some of you are thinking, man, Ray, this is heady stuff for Christmas Eve. And, uh, and, and you're right in some respects, it is. And if you've come hoping for you know, some simple, religious, warm, fuzzy sentimentality, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but here's the deal. Beneath all the holiday sentiment, the fun, the parties, the food, the, the lights, the presents, the, the, all the vacation days and everything else, Christmas is ultimately about something profoundly significant. It calls us to evaluate. In some ways, it demands we evaluate what we believe. And so my Christmas gift to you is this moment, a moment to think. And you may say, well, thanks, but I'd rather you give me a cookie or, or, you know, a nice pair of socks or a tie or something like that. And I understand, but in the midst of the holiday chaos, I think we really need this moment because in humanity's search for peace, Christianity alone offers us what we're looking for. With it comes spiritual security. We can know and be sure of God's love and acceptance and live with 
joyful confidence because where religion is all about you and what you do, Christianity says, no, your life is saved by what somebody else does. It's all about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done. It's the work of the Son that brings peace between us and God the Father. And when we experience that peace, I mean, really experience that deep inner peace, it leads to outer peace. I've heard it said this way, a soul that's truly at peace will be at peace with others. And I believe that's true. And so here's my Christmas question. What do you think about Jesus? I mean, no one disputes his life or his impact on history, uh, but many struggle with his claims, which are definitely unique. Founders of other religions came as teachers, not saviors. They came and said, do this, that, and the other thing, and you might find the divine. Jesus said, I am the divine. Come to find you. Come to do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. Graciously rescue you and give you life eternal. The good news for all people on Christmas is that we're saved not by our work, but by Christ's work. Therefore, Christianity is not a performance deal. It's not religion or irreligion. It's something... It's something else altogether. It's something completely unexpected. I mean, understand, because, because man cannot perfectly, flawlessly ascend to God, there's only one logical solution. God himself must come to us. As incredible and outrageous as it may seem, deity must uh, quite literally, graciously, miraculously enter history and, and, and assume the burden of humanity's sin and rebellion in order to redeem us and rescue us. It's an, it's an inconceivable, yet magnificently brilliant, even poetic idea. Author, famous English author and poet J.R.R. Tolkien of the Hobbit fame, he wrote The Hobbit, was also a follower of Jesus, and he put it this way, the incarnation of God is an infinitely greater thing than anything I would dare to write. The story is supreme, and it is true. You know, sometimes at Christmas, i got to admit, uh, as we consider Christ's birth and the incarnation, I find myself wanting to somehow demystify the story for you. But here's the reality. There is mystery in the story. There is mystery in God. There is mystery in the incarnation. There is mystery in the resurrection. There is mystery in eternal life. And I can't prove any of these things to you, and I risk trivializing divine mystery if I attempt to do so. And I very readily admit that the idea of a guy being born of a virgin, claiming to be God in the flesh, offering himself as the sacrifice for sin, suffering unjustly, dying on a cross, being buried and resurrected to life, bringing peace to those who believe is weird. It's illogical. It's an incredible story that has undeniably changed the course of history, but is nonetheless difficult to accept, especially in the context of cultural modernism. It seems irrational. It seems hard to believe. But just because something is hard to believe or hard to explain doesn't make it false. It's like when I go to Starbucks and, Starbucks and I bring my, my laptop and I open it up and it's not hooked into anything, but I open it up, write a note, hit the send button, and immediately a friend of mine on the other side of the world gets the message. I mean, that's hard to believe. That's hard for me to explain how it works, but it's true. A couple of weeks ago, I got the flu. And it's hard to comprehend how a tiny virus that I can't even see makes me so sick, but it does. It's true. See, just because something is hard to see or hard to believe or hard to comprehend doesn't make it false. That's especially true in light of our own human frailties. So here's my, here's my point. Do you believe in God? 
And I'm guessing that most of you do. And if you're right, that God exists, that God is real, then he must be beyond our full comprehension, right? If he exists, it's only rational that miracles are possible. Things can happen I can't fully explain. If God is God and he's created all things, then he, he has the ability to do the extraordinary, the supernatural, and violate the physical laws of nature, the physical laws of the universe that he himself created. Uh, Dr. John Lennox is a very well-known and respected scientist and professor of mathematics at Oxford University in England. He is also a Christian. And he writes, If there is no such thing as a supernatural being, God, there is no need to discuss the miraculous. But if God is real, Lennox says, then the laws of nature predict what's bound to happen only if God does not intervene. To argue the laws of nature make it impossible to believe in the existence of God and the possibility of his intervention in the universe is plainly fallacious. It's false. Lennox says, it would be like claiming that understanding the laws of internal combustion make it impossible to believe the designer of a car could or would intervene and remove the cylinder head. Of course he could intervene. Moreover, his intervention wouldn't destroy those laws. The very same laws that explain why the engine worked with the cylinder head on would now explain why it doesn't work with the head removed. Now, that's it. That's how mathematicians say things. Okay, so let me give you my Ray K translation of that, all right? Lennox was saying, he said, look, if God doesn't exist, then... There is no such thing as miracles, case closed. But if God does exist, then there's no need to discount the supernatural. Therefore, the incarnation merely assumes God's reality and his ability to intervene in our world and perform the miraculous. As the Apostle John summarizes it, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Deity coded himself in humanity, which again leads us to Jesus. What do you think about him? I mean, if, if he was just a man, then his claims to deity, his claims to forgive sin, his claims to bring peace were nothing more than insane rantings. But if he wasn't as the true son of God, then his promise to bring, bring peace warrants serious consideration. Uh, Jesus put it this way. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, maybe it would be helpful to clarify what's meant by peace because we often define peace simply as the absence of conflict. You know, we're not fighting with anybody and certainly that's an important part of it. But the peace that Jesus spoke of, the peace that he offered, um, the peace proclaimed by angels on the night of his birth represents more than just a lack of conflict. In fact, remember, remember what the angels said. They said, glory to God in the highest and on the earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The Greek term that's used here for peace refers to a tranquility of mind and spirit that transcends all circumstance and finds its basis in a right relationship with God. But notice the specifics. This peace, this tranquility of mind and spirit doesn't automatically come to, to everyone, but to those on whom his favor rests. In other words, the application of God's peace is specific. His unmerited favor rests on those who accept the gift of his son, born to live the life we should have lived and die the death we deserve to die. Jesus offers peace from God to those who accept grace and forgiveness. 
He makes peace with God for those who surrender in faith. He brings the peace of God uh, into the lives of those who follow him. A peace, a tranquility of mind and spirit that transcends circumstances and lasts forever. And so on a personal note, a personal level, this means that an opportunity for you to experience a right, healthy relationship with the God who created you and loves you is indeed possible. But you don't earn it, you don't buy it, you don't work for it, you don't bargain for it. You simply receive it. Now, Christmas is just a few hours away. And uh, as it approaches, I can't help but wonder how you and God are doing these days. I mean, maybe things between you and God are good, spiritually speaking. You have, you've been freed from this religious performance idea that is crushing, that's guilt-inducing and debilitating, and you finally understand the truth of God's love and grace, and you've embraced it in Jesus. And so you're growing in your faith, and you have this deep sense of God's love and forgiveness and closeness and peace, and if that's true, great. But maybe this holiday season, you're not doing so well with God. Maybe you feel distant from Him. You sense a sort of spiritual disconnection, an emptiness inside, uh, uh, an uneasiness, a lack of direction, a lack of peace. Something's missing. Maybe you've never had any kind of a relationship with God to begin with, or maybe the one you had at one time has been sidetracked for one, one reason or another, perhaps through rebellious, unhealthy, unwise choices you've made. I don't know. And yet down deep inside, you, you long to reconnect to God. You just feel... You just feel like he might not want to reconnect with you. And if that's what you're feeling, if that's what you're thinking, I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul who wrote the early church and said this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. For Jesus himself is our peace and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father. Peace is possible. And God wants you to know it. He wants you to experience it. But as Christian author and thinker C.S. Lewis once put it, God cannot give us peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. Now, I realize we're all here tonight for different reasons. Some of us are here because our family family members made us come or... Some of us are here because a friend invited us. Some of you are here because you drove by uh, and saw our sign out front and figured, hey, being in, a church on, being in church on Christmas Eve is not a bad idea, probably a good thing. Well, whatever the reason uh, is, I'm glad you made it. And whether you're from a Jewish, Presbyterian, Roman Catholic, Buddhist, Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist background, or even if you have no religious affiliation at all, never have, here's the good news. It doesn't matter. Because Christmas, at its very core, is not about ecclesiastical affiliations or traditions or denominations. With Jesus, it's always been about relationship, not religion. Grace, not guilt. And so, if you remember only one thing I say to you tonight, remember this, that in a world that's filled with conflict and despair, Christmas is God saying to you and saying to me, saying to all of us, I love you. You matter to me. I want to relate with you and to you. I want you to know me as, as well as I know you. In short, God says, I want there to be peace between us forever. And that peace is found in and through my son, Savior of the world, whose name is Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to be together tonight for this moment in which we can... Um, in which we can evaluate 
what it is we really believe. It's so easy to walk through life and, and not think about it or not deal with it, but um, what better time than Christmas Eve? And my prayer is tonight that each of us would recognize that the things the world offers in terms of peace, they don't deliver. Not secularism, not religion, this idea of working our way into your good, you know, your good graces. I mean, it's just we all fail. And it just ends in conflict and disappointment and brokenness and guilt. Yet Jesus came with a different message. He came with a message of grace, unmerited favor for those who believe. And so I pray that uh, this evening, God, that we would all have a, have a deep grasp of that reality. And um, I pray that you would speak to us by the moving of your spirit even now as we continue to worship. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.